All right, Alexander, let's talk about the Russia-Africa summit that is taking place, wrapping up in uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, a lot of interesting uh, developments from this summit. What, uh, what do you think are the main points, the main developments that have come out of this, the second annual summit between yeah. Russia and African nations? Well, of course, the first thing to say about this is that there's been a big um, campaign about this summit meeting in the Western media. They're saying only, only 17 African leaders turned up, as opposed to 42 who came at the previous summit meeting in 2019. Um, in fact, as I understand it, every single African country has sent representatives. I mean, I, I'm not aware of anyone that didn't. And yes, fewer uh, presidents and heads of state have turned up. But this is taking place in the middle of a major geopolitical conflict that's taking place within Africa, which I think we're going to come to in a moment. So the impressive thing is not that, you know, fewer turned up than last time, but as many as 17 defied pressure from the West and turned up in place. Now, what is happening and what the Russians are saying is in the, during the time of the Soviet Union, during the Cold War, we made a very big push to establish very good and good, close relationships with people in Africa. We were at the forefront of support of the anti-imperialist and anti-colonial movements in Africa. We supported the movements against apartheid in South Africa, in Rhodesia. We helped Angola see off Western intervention, South African intervention in the 1970s and 1980s. We played an absolutely key role in helping Ethiopia to hold together in the 1970s and 1980s as well, after the fall of the emperor. We were very heavily involved in West Africa too. Then the, then the Soviet Union collapsed. All of that stopped. We stopped taking any interest in Africa anymore. We neglected our old friendships. We now understand that that was a critical mistake. We didn't have the means to some extent to project ourselves back into Africa. Now we want to do so. And we want to come back into Africa in a big way. We also support African Union. We want the African Union, which is the organization that brings together all the African states, to be admitted as a full member of the G20. We um, are going to write off all your debt to us. I believe that's $20 billion. We're going to write all of, all of that off. We're going to once again re-establish re all the old links, all the old educational links that the Soviet Union used to provide. The Soviet Union had very, very um, uh, extensive education graduate programs for Africans during the Cold War. We've renamed the university we get, um, that was set up in the 60s to provide Afri uh, African students and students from other global South countries. Uh, we've given it back its old name, which it had in the 60s and 70s, which is the Patrice Lumumba Friendship University, renamed after an African leader. And we are going to give you also, if you're really in need of food, we have the means, 
we can replace all the food that Ukraine provided. We have more than enough to do that. And we're going to provide it for free. And we want to increase our economic links with Africa. We are, they're too low at the moment, but we want to increase those um, very considerably. So that's what the Russians are saying. And, of course, what the West is saying in, in response is, under no circumstances, this is not something that African leaders should even consider getting too close to the Russians. If you get too close to the Russians in that way, you are going to be cut off from any potential World Bank or IMF funding. Now, this is playing out, as I said, in a major geostrategic struggle in Africa. Bear in mind, behind the Russians are the Chinese with their very deep pockets, who are also coming to Africa in a very, very big way. The key point to understand that in this conflict that we're seeing, all the African countries sent representatives to um, St. Petersburg, where the summit has been happening, and 17 leaders in Africa, often of important countries, Ethiopia, South Africa, Egypt, they defied the United States and they turned up. How, how far do you think uh, China would go in providing financing? alternative financing for these countries in Africa if the U.S. cuts them off, if the collective West cuts them off? I think it would. I think it would. I think it both can and I think it would. I mean, China, of course, is present in Africa already on a much bigger scale than Russia is or will ever be, to be straightforward about it. I mean, Russia will provide. Where the Russians will provide is they'll provide technical assistance, educational, educational assistance. That was a very big thing that the Soviet Union used to do. If you have any contact with Africa, countries, you will know that there's large numbers of people who benefited in Africa from Soviet graduate programs, and who, by the way, have always retained an affection for the country that provided them with those programs for free. I mean, it provided them for free and with, you know, free accommodation and stipends. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a, a, a much more generous programs than those that the West was providing. And targeted at many people from families who could not have afforded to send their children to study in universities in the West. So there's, you know, there's a, that big legacy of goodwill. Anyway, the, the Russians can do all of that. Obviously, they can't compete with the Americans or the Chinese in terms of financing. But the Chinese are there, and they will do it, and they will do it on a very, very big scale. And, of course, the Chinese and the Af Russians are working together on this because China was a presence in Africa during the Cold War. It couldn't provide the kind of graduate programs or the technical assistance that the Soviet Union did. So it doesn't have that legacy to the same extent that the Soviets have. But the Chinese want to tap into that because the Chinese and the Russians are working together and it seems to me that this is a team again, and each is playing to their individual strengths. The other thing that the Russians will do, of course, is that they're able to provide security assistance. Prigozhin turned up at the St. Petersburg summit. Undoubtedly, he was given the green light to do so. He met with various African leaders there. You can imagine, there was talk already that eventually 
what part of the deal that was done was that Wagner would be sent back to Africa, or parts of it would be. And there's just been a coup in Niger, where a president, supposedly democratically elected, I'm not familiar with the politics of Niger, but French and Western-backed, has just been overthrown by the military. The French are refusing to recognise the coup. There's some talk from them that they're threatening to intervene. I can't imagine that that will happen, by the way. I can't imagine that French public opinion would support the French intervention in Niger. But anyway, the French are very upset about this. Niger has been very much a country which has been one of the stabilising factors in France's position in West Africa. And the coup leaders are already talking about the fact that they're sympathetic to the Russians, Russian flags are appearing, and the um, Niger military has already issued statements warning the French against intervening in Niger. So you can see that there is a battle for Africa, for the hearts and minds of the Africans, and for African states underway. And again, I think the overall story of this is that we are back to some extent in the Cold War, when there was also a conflict between the superpowers in Africa. The difference is that, of course, in the 19, during the Cold War, it was the US that had the greater resources. That's no longer the case anymore. The Chinese and the Russians can match or indeed even surpass US resources in any, in any respect. And of course, as Putin pointed out in the speech that he, came, he gave to the summit meeting, the Africa summit in St. Petersburg, neither, well, certainly not the Russians and by extension, not the Chinese either. They don't have this history of imperialism and colonialism in Africa which the Western countries do. Yeah, the, the speech that Putin gave and the entire narrative of the summit is pretty much um, Russia, Africa uh, needs to unite against the, the, uh, the colonial powers, let's say, of yes. the collective West. That's, that's yes. pretty much the, the basic uh, summary, the, 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 um, the narrative of, of the summit. Absolutely, and of course what it's, what it's doing is it's again reconnecting to the Soviet legacy because, of course, the Soviet legacy was that, you know, we support you against the Western colonialists and the Western imperialists. Russia is now going to do the same. And just as a matter of point, I would point out that Tsarist Russia also never had colonies in Africa. And it was the major economic and military supporter of the one African state that managed to avoid being colonized by the Western powers, which was Ethiopia. And this is a fact people, most people don't know, by the way, but Russian-Ethiopian relations go back very far to the 1880s, with, as I said, the, Russia at that time being the major arms supplier, trading partner, um, a sister, if you like, of Ethiopia as Ethiopia successfully held off the Western powers. And one of the first African leaders that Putin met was, of course, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, 
who's just seen off um, an uprising in Tigray, partly with Russian and Chinese support. And of course, that uprising, as is now, I think, well established, had a lot of support from the United States. Yeah. All right. We will uh, leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.